I want to take time because this one was very well thought out. Uh, let's go with this one. Hi. Recently, I cut ties with a very close friend because she told me that if I'm not being an activist, I might as well be waving a Confederate flag. And I'm just as responsible as the men that shot people and burned churches. As a mixed person, I was never able to make clear-cut decisions, opinions on matters of race, and I was told that made me lesser. But I felt if I just accepted one view right away, I wasn't giving enough consideration of the other half of my heritage. Lately, it seems like only one half of me matters and the other half people, and it's the half that people can obviously see. Am I wrong for taking a step back and reserving my opinions until I have more, if not all, of the facts? Well, uh, I think, uh, you know, as a, as a pastor, um, we have uh, several interracial couples you know, at our church, and uh, we praise God for that. Um, I, I don't think any person should be forced to ignore um, one of their parents. And um, if in affirming the Imago Day, you know, praise God that you're, you know, mixed is how, you know, being mixed, that's, uh, I, I don't know, you know, how everyone sees that term, but that's the term, you know, uh, the person used. I think it's wise to, to be able to step back and not just immediately, you know, choose. I think that's exercising wisdom and, you know, I'm sorry that your, your friend spoke to you in that manner. Um, I don't think it's true that if you don't necessarily go the way she feels you should go, that means um, you support the Confederacy or, or you're just as bad as uh, the young man who shot those African Americans in South Carolina and Mother Emanuel. Um, so that's, that, that's unfortunate. Uh, I, I totally disagree with that. Um, but I do think, uh, I do think you know, it's, it's wise to step back and to, and to pray. And it doesn't make you any lesser just because you feel that you identify with both. And so I think you actually can bring a unique uh, point of view to the conversation as you take that step back. And the Lord may you know, give you wisdom on how to engage in social matters and theological matters like that. Uh, I agree. It's a good word. I think that one of the huge helps to the church has been the openness to interracial marriage. And in, in part of it, for me, as a white pastor, having to deal with parents who were opposed to it, and my first marriage in my church in Virginia was that. And I was the new guy on staff, and I think they were like, okay, he's the new guy, the only guy willing to, to, to put up with what's about to happen. You know, are you willing to do that? I said, of course I'm willing to do this marriage because they're both Christians, and that's the only biblical guideline that we have, you know, so. But here's the thing, in all the scenarios uh, where the parents were absolutely opposed, they absolutely fell in love with the kids. And, and the kids became the balm for them to overcome their their sinful bias. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged at what I'm seeing and, and a, a willingness and openness for interracial marriage for adoption, I think as well. I'm a little biased, if I can just be honest, because to me, if it's 
you know, one parent's black, one parent's white, and the kid is this beautiful mixture, why is that kid African-American? Half, you know, why is there just the assumption? Or why can't I claim, if we're going to claim, because the babies are, are gorgeous, and, 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 you know, really, they're the most beautiful of kids. I think these mixed kids are just absolutely gorgeous. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate that comment because I don't think like you, if it may be, you know, within God's providence being mixed, you can provide help to the person who feels like you have to be an activist. And, and for you to maybe be a gospel influence in that because activism isn't ultimately the answer anyway. The gospel is the answer, you know. Anyway. Uh, why? Are white evangelicals often vocal about issues of human trafficking and abortion, but not issues of racial injustice? Um, I think that we don't uh, understand racial injustice as well as we do these other issues. I think even tonight, listening to, you know, you and Walter, you know, can help me understand better. I, I, I don't live, my worldview doesn't contain that I would be afraid of being pulled over if I didn't have my wallet. I'd be afraid because if I get another ticket, my wife's going to kill me because I get too many tickets. Not that I'm going to go to jail, that my insurance is going to go up high, and then my wife's going to be like driving me to church, and people are going to be mad at me like, Pastor, why do you keep breaking the law? So it's helpful, it's just helpful for us to, to have these discussions. I, I do feel that social justice has become a big deal. And, and, and I think even amongst a lot of, you know, young white evangelicals. It seems to me like there's a lot of discussion on social justice, which I have a little bit of fear of, of that, you know, turning into more of a social gospel than a real gospel. But, uh, but, but I, I at least appreciate the step forward. Um, I, I don't know. I just think there's what you said earlier in terms of some of the racial ignorance. I, I still think we got some work to do there. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think... I think, I, I, let, let me put the, put the social gospel in a different context. I think I, I agree with what you're saying, um, but I think historically, when we go back to Dr. King, um, he was immediately labeled a Marxist and by white evangelicals, a social gospel. And I think during that time, there was no such thing. What, what even James Cone, um, what, what black theologians during that time, what they were doing was, showing another theological issue, that the gospel does lead us to engage in these issues because the gospel is the answer. Not that political activism is the answer, but we need Christians that are going to engage in political activism because you're going to bring a Christian worldview to that sector. And so from, from that standpoint, um, historically white missiologists uh, kind of demeaned when African Americans coming up during Jim Crow and civil rights, we were saying, you know, the only place we're treated like people is the black church. And so what Dr. King says, hold up, if, if we're going to affirm the gospel, then we shouldn't have to sit in the back of the bus. 
If we're going to affirm the gospel, I shouldn't have to sit in the back in the balcony because I'm black. And so, so even eventually Billy Graham did something, you know, about that. But even for, for years, he, he had black people sitting in the back as he preached. And so this idea of a social gospel, historically, it wasn't a social gospel. It was, it was a how the gospel compels us to engage, you know, in these issues. And the, the abortion thing um, uh, actually kind of it culminates in that because on one end, we have white evangelicals saying, you know, black people need to be concerned about abortion. But then you have black people saying, you care about me before I'm born, but you don't care for me after I'm born because you won't speak to my issues. Do you see that? Like, so you could talk about me before I'm born, but now that I'm here, you ignore uh, mass incarceration. And again, I'm twice as likely to be shot by the police. So uh, we're saying, well, well, hold up, that's not a social gospel. If, if you're going to affirm the Imago Dei and, and that I shouldn't be aborted, I need you to care for me after I'm born. And so we need to speak to these issues as well. I have a question. So, real scenario. I've got a um, distant uh, daughter of some friends, believing friends, in a interracial marriage, um, not married, sorry, not married, interracial relationship. She's, she became pregnant, and um, then there was a discussion about abortion. She said no, finally, a lot of pressure, but no, so praise God for that. She's very open to adoption. The boyfriend's, the dad's parents, African-American, said absolutely no to adoption. Their comment was, as African-Americans, we don't like adoption. I don't understand the context of, of, of that. Neither do I. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's more isolated. But in terms of white people adopting black children, is there a wall there that I don't see, that I don't understand, from think, an African-American context? Y y y there, there could be. Um, I think... I think the, 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 the concern, um, because you, you got to say, me being a black pastor, I have some older African-Americans who were told they couldn't join certain Southern Baptist churches in 85 here in North Carolina. So when things like that come up, when you talk about um, that those walls what certain older, and, I'm, I'm, and I brought that up to bring that maybe a generational dynamic, uh, depending on how old that guy's parents are, that would say um, there's still certain, there's a certain sect of uh, older African Americans that are saying not much has changed. And, and, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but here's the quote, now they're taking our babies too. And so by adopting, you're adopting this little black boy and he never experiences his culture. Um, you know, I, I already told you we hear about Paul Revere, but not Cheswell. So, so, so now he's in a, a white family, but he doesn't know his history. He, he doesn't know his people. And you can't take that black boy to sports clips. He need a black barber. 
and so, you know, you're single-handedly destroying the black hairline. Um, uh, we need to preserve that. Um, but, but in all seriousness, there, there are these cultural challenges to that, and, and a lot of times, he, 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 when he's around black people, he feels out of place. So I think that's the concern from that is that, okay, don't uh, adopt this child and then he, he knows nothing about black culture. And, and that's kind of the issue, and I'll stop here, is I think my white brothers and sisters do need to understand that you have a culture. But I think for many of them it just seems normal. No, this is normal. No, no, you have a, cult, they're, they're, you have a culture, we have a culture, and so there are cultural differences. In fact, Tim Keller, uh, he spoke today, he said, you know, Generally speaking, white people don't know they have a culture because they assume that their way is right. That's coming from a white man, okay? Not me. I'm quoting him. Um, and and, and I, think, I think if we dig deep, maybe we, some of you would own that and say, you know what, that's, that's possible. If I'm, if I'm in my white bubble, it just seems normal. Again, and two, I have authentic relationships with people different than me. And, th and then let me quote from an African-American sociologist that I was introduced to here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, and his name is George Yancey, and he said that the solution also is not white responsibility. Right, right, I agree. Because I think part of what, what a, a white culture, white Christian culture can get to have is a, no pun intended, a Messiah complex, we're the answer. Right. Right. And we have to take on responsibility for our generational sins, but we also then have to be the cure-all, you know. And, and I think there's some danger in, in just assuming that as well. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Considering the diversity in Raleigh, North Carolina, do your churches reflect your community? Why or why not? <laughs> Um, not as much as we need to, but I am very grateful for the diversity that we do have. Uh, we stress it. It's a part of our mission. It's a part of our vision. We talk about it all the time. We're very proactive, but the why not is me. You know, there are still some who, you know, wouldn't want to sit under my preaching or, or my leadership as a lead pastor who's white. Um, and, you know, so I'm guessing that maybe the main hindrance still is, is me, though, you know, we really are trying to be as proactive as we can. My neighborhood is 50% white, it's 20% African American, it's about 15% Hispanic, about 10% Asian other, and, and that is our goal. That's our goal, to be a church that would be 50% white, 20% African-American, 15% Hispanic, 15% whatever the other is, Asian and other, just to reach the community that God has given me. And, and, and I think that that's my commission, that's, that's my desire, just, just to, to have one local church that is doing that. I think a big part of the solution though is leadership because minorities need to see, you know, that the church is willing to have leadership of their culture, their ethnicity.
And so, you know, that's just something, you know, that you really have to, I think, be cognizant of. Yeah, I mean, vision, uh, we're predominantly African-American, about 20% Anglo. Um, I think, uh, I think some of that I would have to own and say it's me. Um, and I think some of the, uh, what's not allowing us to realize what we could be, I think it's preference. Um, I think there are certain parts of, the, of there are some African-Americans that just don't want to sit under a white pastor. And the reality is there are some white people that don't want to sit under me. And there's nothing I can do about it because I, I'm not going to change my color. I can't, don't want to. Glad God made me a black man as, as a, a reflection of the Imago Day. So there are certain things I just can't do anything about. Uh, but we, we do attempt um, to, I do attempt to communicate in a way that's transcultural. And so um, I'm passionate in all those things. I'm not a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with hooping. I don't, I don't hoop. I don't communicate in that way. Um, you, you need to explain that. Because first of all, yeah. I have hoop envy. Hoop. You got hoop envy? I if could, you hoop, I will pay you. Well, yeah. I just want the ability. Because you, you at least have the ability. I don't. But I, I, I'll you give, do. You uh, do. So, so hooping is something traditionally done in the African-American tradition where we call it the close, which is where he's going to the gospel, he's going to the cross. But he may say something and go, ha. And so, but he rose on the third day, ha. I, I don't communicate like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. But I can also appreciate, I can appreciate the heritage and the tradition of that. So uh, I don't communicate in that way. Um, but, but my concern is, uh, it, it seems as if a student from NC State would be more willing to sit under me than a Southeastern student. That's my concern. Is that, again, the ones that are getting this good reformed theology um, tend to remain homogenous. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, we can get out of that to where uh, the liberal school uh, seems to be more open to serving under minority leadership than the reformed Christian gospel-centered biblically orthodox school. I think there's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I do, again, as I said with Dr. Aiken, I do hope. Because when you look at Acts 16, God prevents them from going to Asia, right? Sends them to uh, Macedonia. And the first person they reach is Lydia, who's from Thyatira, which is in Asia. So they reach Asia in Macedonia. So my point is the nations are here. You don't have to go overseas. The nations are right here, and there's a, a right mission field in South Raleigh, the area that we're serving that's going through gentrification. It needs a diverse gospel-centered expression of the gospel there. And so hopefully we can begin to see that happen, and we can put some preferences aside. So what I try to tell people is, listen, guys, everybody's not going to like the worship. Everybody's not going to like this. But people are getting ba saved, baptized, and discipled. Can that be enough? People are getting saved at vision, they're getting baptized at vision, they're getting discipled. Can that be enough? And if we can get to the point to where that's enough, you know, you know we'll, we'll give you some Hill song, and we're going to sing some of Red Brown Clark. We're going to give you the whole gambit. Let's celebrate both. Let's celebrate both. Last question for the night, and no pressure here, but in, speak, in looking at each other, uh, representing your community, uh -oh. what could you say 
what could you say as a word of advice that you think the other side needs to hear in moving forward? I think the white guy should go first. <laughs> I feel like an Oreo anyway. At this, so. Here's what I would say. I thank God for you. And, um, and I'm grateful that I'm still able to pastor in a time where I'm seeing the mystery of the gospel that Paul talked about come to fruition in America. The, the, the mystery of the gospel was that Abraham was told that he would be the father of a worldwide family. But sin and racism and ethnic bias put a veil over that for thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. I mean, as, as soon as Abram had kids, racial tension arose. Mm -hmm. And then Isaac had kids and it was racial tension. By the time we get to Moses, all there was was Israel against everybody else. But here, Bible-believing Jews knew what God told Abraham. That, that the mystery of the gospel was that we must do church as a body of believers representing all different types of shapes, colors, and sizes. And then Paul, in, in Ephesians 2, he says, that's it. We, we now literally, because in Ephesians, Corinth, we are the answer to the mystery because we got Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. We got slaves. We got free worshiping together. We got males and females. We, we were doing it. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't easy. It was messy. And most of the New Testament dealt with this, which you're trying to provoke us to encourage one another. Right. Most of the New Testament is dealing with racial issues. Jew, Gentile, what to eat, what not to eat, and how to worship and all that stuff. So, I mean, this is this extremely biblical, you know, and, and, and I think what Paul is doing, so my, my, my two pieces of encouragement would, would be, one, we, we really do all have a culture, and our culture contains a bias. But as Christians, there is a new culture. And Paul said, yeah. Christ came to develop one new man. What he was doing, he was saying, well, your culture, there's my culture, then there's Christ's culture, the, the church culture. I'm going to say this. The church is the answer to this. And at the same time, the church has been the biggest detriment to this. But the church is the answer to this. If we can figure out how to put our biases away and inform this one new man that Paul's talking about, the church culture, the gospel ch culture, the Christ culture, right? Then, then we become Christ's sermon to the world. Mm -hmm. The church, an integrated, multi-ethnic, multicultural church, is Christ's sermon to the world. And I think that's what everyone needs to see. I mean, that's, that's, 
That's what we need. That's what downtown Raleigh needs so much. And I think you particularly have that in you to develop that. And I think you're willing to, to you mean, go against some African-American tradition, culture, to be the leader of a church. And, and I think you have enough boldness and passion for the gospel to try to make this work. And then second, Paul said this. And he came and he preached peace. Now, what Paul said that Christ came to do is to bring the two, right? He, mm-hmm. he broke down the dividing wall yep. of the cross. And he came to preach peace. Preaching is part of the answer here. And, you, and you're the preacher. You got you to give the right message. Because that message will be activated by the Holy Spirit to do what in our hearts God has given us to do, to believe that we really can become this one new man. Mm-hmm. That's my encouragement to you. Amen. I want to read a quote uh, from Dr. Tony Evans from a wonderful book called Oneness Embrace. He says, when we can only bring people together in a limited way without canceling who they have been created to be under an umbrella, umbrella that is bigger than the color that they claim, then how can we expect much more from the world? It's a poignant uh, quote from the book. I think I would, I would communicate is that there is mutual edification uh, when we come together than when we operate separately. And there's this reality that uh, we need each other and neither one of us are the answer. Uh, but Christ is. But the only way we're going to really begin to confront our preferences in a safe atmosphere is when we go beyond a surface level relationship and your plight becomes mine and mine becomes yours. That's when there is authentic and true brotherhood and sisterhood. And so as you being a professor and being a pastor a fairly large congregation and the influence that you have is that as, as you sit as a student but also as a teacher because you wear both hats, um, that's when we can really begin to see change. When people like yourself, Russell Moore, Dr. Aiken, these guys are in positions of power, uh, listen, uh, and we need to listen as well. That's why I think, well, I know if we come together, there'll be mutual edification. And then we'll get to see the beautiful tapestry of, of the body of Christ. The, the gospel is not uniformity. The gospel is not colorblind. It's color engaging. And the beautiful thing about tapestry is uh, you don't have to totally deny your culture for me to accept you. You've been accepted in Christ. But when we can come together and not let our preferences or culture eclipse the gospel, then we can display a beautiful tapestry. And I believe that's what God wants to do with us. But it is going to require some sacrifice. And uh, we, uh, uh, you know, we can argue about who needs to sacrifice more. Uh, but I think we can agree that without that sacrifice, without the willingness to give that up, uh, the tapestry will be an idea, but it won't be realized. Uh, we need you to preach and for me to preach so that that can be realized. And as we hopefully preach in a transformative way, uh, we'll be able to see that reflection now. Uh, it, it'll be perfect in Revelation 5, but 
there is a reality that we should be compelled to want to realize that beautiful tapestry now. That's what I would say. As we close, we just want to leave you with some words of commendation and have the pastors uh, close us with the time of prayer. But oftentimes when situations like this happen, uh, we have a lot of conversation in this room with people sitting there and the guys on stage talking, but then we go back into our homogenous circles and we don't really move forward. So as a word of commendation and wanting to seek progress, something that Reverend Kenneth Stegler uh, and Rev Reverend Enoch Holloway, uh, Friendship, ba uh, Friendship Chapel Baptist Church, these are, um, they've created the idea, and it's, it's, a simp it's very simple, it's something we should already naturally do, but we have uh, dinner for two, uh, where, for four, yeah, for, oh, dinner for eight, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> Not good with math. That's why I'm here. Uh, but there's a, the, the, the essence of it is that you have folks from a white church and folks from a black church intentionally taking the time to sit down and have dinner. Because naturally, we're just going to have dinner with the folks in our community or at our church. And if it's homogenous, we're never going to cross those boundaries. So, and I know the pushback may be, I don't want to force it. And I don't want to be cheesy or fake or insincere, but we have to recognize that there were intentional forces that separate us, so it's going to require intentional force to bring us back together. So I would commend everyone. When we look around this room, this is probably one of the most diverse events we've had as far as a balance of different races being represented. Please take the time to at least introduce yourself or reach out. And consider for your church or in your level of influence the dinner for eight. As a, as a stepping stone in the right direction, these pastors aren't the answer. This panel isn't the answer. We just wanted to begin the discussion. But it's up to the, the body of Christ to reach out and build the body of Christ. So we thank you guys for coming.